You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Today is a really exciting teaching in our series to the Ephesians. Uh, We're actually going to be finishing off Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Ephesians 3. And this marks the halfway point in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And what's really exciting is the first three chapters really focus on theology and doctrine. And the last three chapters focus on really practical action. Just tell me what to do. And so if you've been waiting for that, next week is going to start the really uh, practical section of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. But these first three chapters, when Paul talks about theology, it's not just about head knowledge for him. It actually moves him to prayer and worship. And that's what we're going to find today. Today, we're going to be reading another one of Paul's prayers for the church. Now, I want to ask you this question. What's the biggest thing you've ever prayed for? What's the biggest prayer request you've ever asked God? Maybe think about what some of those big prayers that you've prayed in your life. Maybe you you prayed and you needed a miracle where it was your health or the health of someone uh, that you loved was failing them and, and medical advice couldn't help them. And so you prayed that God would heal that person. Maybe you prayed and you needed provision that you didn't know how you were going to pay the bills. You didn't know how you're going to pay you know, for this big expense. And so you prayed that God would provide miraculously for you. Maybe for you, you had an opportunity that you believed God was leading and calling you towards as you prayed that God would arrange things and and open the door and clear the pathway for you. Or on the flip side, maybe you found yourself hitting rock bottom and you were in a difficult season and a difficult time and you prayed that God would just get you through. One of the biggest prayers that, that most followers of Jesus will ever pray is they pray that God would forgive their sins and lead their life. And maybe you've prayed that prayer, and that in and of itself is a miracle of God saving us from our sins and changing our lives. When I think about the big prayers that I've prayed, I think about a few different prayers. One of the prayers I prayed when I was a kid was uh, when I was in junior high, my parents were actually separated. I've shared this story a number of times before. I won't go into all the details, but my parents were separated. And uh, their marriage was trending towards divorce. And so myself and my brother, we prayed that my parents would reconcile, that they would get back together. And I'm happy to share that today they have a happy marriage, that they're still together. And, and God brought them out of that season of their lives. And that just doesn't happen very frequently. It is by the grace and by the hand of God. Uh, I think about another big prayer that I've prayed is I prayed for Hill City Church before it was even called Hill City Church. Uh, I felt for years a calling to lead a church plant. And long before I even had the opportunity with Hill City Church, uh, before we even knew that the name would be called Hill City, that I was praying that God would lead me that direction and would give me an opportunity. Another big prayer request that we haven't shared a lot about is uh, Associate Pastor Jake and I actually prayed that we would be able to meet in this specific location, in this specific building one day. Uh, A little while ago when we were considering our options, we were coming near to the end of our lease for our other location that we were in on Bogus Basin Road, Jake and I met with Pastor Quinton of Capital City Christian Church. And we talked to him about the options of renting and evening slot and all these different things. And we left that meeting 
uh, really encouraged uh, of meeting with him, but also with this sense that, that God was calling us to be in this location. We had no idea what that meant. We didn't think it meant a merger. We, we didn't know if it meant purchasing the building long, long down the road. We had no idea what that meant. And so we prayed a bold prayer. We prayed that one day God would arrange things so that we could be in this specific location. We've been hesitant about sharing that super broadly because we didn't want to make it seem like we were manipulating things or trying to to force the merger. Uh, We truly wanted to be as open-handed as possible. If we were going to be in this location, it was going to be because God wanted it to happen, not because we forced our own way. And sure enough, God arranged events over the year of 2020 uh, with calling Quinta into another location and then with Capital City even approaching us and, and inviting us to consider a merger. And it's been so amazing this year to see how God has already moved in really powerful ways through this merger. And so I would just challenge you to think about what are those big prayers that you've prayed? And and maybe if you're honest, you've prayed big prayers before and you've also been let down. The answer that God gave you was not the answer you were looking for from that prayer. And it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't always work like, you know, you put your coins in the slot and you pull the lever and God gives you what you want. In fact, in those moments where God answers our prayer a different way, really it's up to us to trust that God's way is best and to trust that God will do and he will accomplish what he set out to accomplish. But today, as we look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul's going to pray three huge prayer requests. He's going to pray them for the church. It's an intercessory prayer, Paul praying on behalf of the church. And as he does, this is both a prayer for us to receive As part of the church, we can receive this prayer from Paul. And it's also a model prayer for us. It it should shape and and teach us how we should pray and approach God in our prayer life as well. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, although it's a little longer section, it's all one sentence in Greek. So we're going to take it and we're going to read it all in one sentence as well. So go ahead and look on Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a powerful prayer. Before we jump into these three requests, and if you're taking notes, you can jot down uh, prayer number one, prayer number two, and prayer number three, because there's three big prayer requests that Paul prays for. Before we do that, I want to just notice the posture. Notice how Paul phrases how he's praying. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, uh, for us, maybe kneeling is not a frequent prayer posture for you. For the Jews and for Paul, uh, the normal way to pray would actually be to be standing, that people would stand for, for prayer. But the reality is we know that God can hear us regardless of your posture. He can hear you when you're standing, when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're sitting down, when I'm on my bike, when I commute, I, I pray and God hears me in those moments, right? So it's not like there's a formula and yet Our posture, uh, the posture of our body influences the posture of our hearts. 
and uh, especially for Jews, that kneeling really represented submission, respect, and humility towards God. In fact, you could say that it's difficult to be proud when you're kneeling down. It's difficult to have an arrogant posture or to have a demand to come before God with a demanding posture or a wish list when you're kneeling down. And I know for me, the moments where I have gone into another room in my house and usually I'll turn off the lights and maybe even light a candle and just kneeled and gone face first before God, those are the moments where God has brought me to really a deeper place than ever before in prayer. And so I would just challenge you, if you're able to, to do that, to experiment with kneeling before God, especially in those big prayers, especially in those intercessory kind of prayers and petitions, when you pray and you need God to move, I would just say, try kneeling. Try, try syncing up the posture of your body with the posture of your heart. And then look at how Paul addresses God. He says, God who created everything, and it's really God who has named every family in the heavens and on the earth. Now think about uh, Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, when God gives Adam the task to name all the animals. That really, that showcases authority. It's showing that Adam is, you know, at the top of, of all of, you know, the animals that have been created. And so for God to be the one who names all the different groups on, in heaven and on earth, that, that shows that God has authority. We don't name God, God names us. And it's important when we pray, and I think kneeling and our posture and the names that we call God and how we address God, all of those things help us remember who we're talking to. Think about how Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer where he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That, that when we say holy is God's name and we remember who we're talking to, it actually will change the content of what we pray. So here we're going to jump into these three prayer requests. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is a prayer to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Paul prays that the church would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. He says that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit, through His Spirit in your inner being. The reality is in our lives, we face resistance when it comes to following Jesus. That it's not always easy. The coast isn't always clear. In fact, this world, there's peer pressure from the culture. We, we know and we'll see in Ephesians chapter 6, there's a spiritual battle. There's forces of darkness that want to get us to fail and to sin and to believe lies. And so we face an incredible amount of resistance in our lives. It's not always easy. And as we talked about last week, it's always going to be worth it. And this is what A.W. Tozer says. I love this from A.W. Tozer. He says, the Christian would collapse from sheer external pressure were it not within him a counter pressure sufficiently great to prevent it. The power of the Holy Spirit is, therefore, not optional but necessary. Without it, the children of God simply cannot live the life of heaven on earth. So we need the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us if we uh, have a faith in Jesus, but we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to give us his power. Jesus told his disciples when they were going to go be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit was going to empower them for that. The Holy Spirit gives us power. So often, though, our, our, the power that we seek is kind of external power. 
You know, we want God to help us in material things, in material ways, helping our bodies, healing our bodies, giving us, you know, material finances to to do things. And not that there's anything wrong with those kind of prayer requests, but notice what he specifically says. Paul prays the Holy Spirit would strengthen our inner being, strengthen our hearts, the, the control center. So the Holy Spirit in Judges came upon Samson and gave Samson physical strength to fight, you know, to, to fight against the Philistines, to do all this, you know, physical feats of strength. God may not give you the physical strength of Samson. God, God probably won't, you know, strengthen. He, he may not always answer your material prayer requests. But one thing that you can bank on is that God can strengthen your inner being. He can strengthen your spirit. And so I would just challenge us to maybe focus some of our prayers, not that it's wrong to pray for these external things, but to focus not just that God would take someone out of that situation, but God would strengthen their spirit so that they can go through that situation with God, so that they can endure, so that they can have perseverance, so that that we can, as as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, so that we cannot lose heart. He says this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you realize that? That it is a certainty that all of us will die, that our, that our physical bodies will fail us, that, that progressively, as we near the end of our lives, our, our bodies will break down. But that's not necessarily the case for your inner self. It's not necessarily the case for your spirit. Your spirit can actually be renewed day by day, and you can, even at the end of your life, be at the top of your game when it comes to your spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who can empower you and strengthen you and encourage you. So I would just say that today. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit within you. This is the resurrection power of God. This is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the power that created the cosmos, right? This is the, this is, you know, the all-powerful God from whom every family is named. That is the God who can empower and strengthen your spirit. And maybe today you're feeling weak. Maybe today you're feeling broken. Maybe today you're feeling tired and worn out and exhausted. And I would just say to you that the Holy Spirit can give you power. The, the power that you need today to wake up, to put your feet on the ground, and to follow Jesus with everything. And then in your prayers for other people, certainly pray for people's health. Pray for God to provide for those people. But maybe the most important thing that you could pray for someone else would be praying that God would give them the power by his Holy Spirit in their inner being so that they can follow him. The second prayer request that we see is the first one is power. And the second prayer request is to experience the love of Christ in community. To experience the love of Christ in community. Paul prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. The love of God is not some simple thing. It's not some one-dimensional thing. It is, it is, you know, it is multifaceted. It is multidimensional. In fact, the way that Paul describes it in Ephesians 3 is really powerful. He talks about height and breadth and length and depth. That's four different dimensions, right? The first three are pretty normal, right? You would think of, you know, three dimensions, like a cube. You know, how wide is it? How tall is it? And how, how, how long is it? But then he adds depth to it. And then it's like, wait, what? So, so what is that supposed to mean? Well, in one sense, he's talking about the love of Christ in some ways is unfathomable and unknowable. Uh, it's something that we're never going to be able to fully wrap our minds around. And in another sense, he's just really trying to, to stretch our perspective of how great God's love is for us. R. Kent Hughes says it like this. Uh, God has a love that is wide enough to embrace the world. 
a love that is long enough to last forever, a love that is high enough to take sinners to heaven, and a love that is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. That's beautiful, and that's poetic, and that's really what Paul is getting at. He's poetically describing just how unfathomable Christ's love for us is. You know, the fact that God would send his one and only son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins is unbelievable. And yet it's true. It's true. And then Jesus, in his resurrection from the grave, he rose in victory to offer us the victory so that we could share in the victory, so that he could raise us up into a new life. And so how do you know something that's unknowable, right? We could say that that Paul wants us to know the unknowable love of Christ. How do you know something that's unknowable? Well, he doesn't want us to know God's love in a merely uh, cognitive way. He doesn't just want us to think about the love of Christ. He wants us to experience it. An example for this is I could try and describe the ocean to you. Maybe you've never been to the ocean. I know um, some people, they, they don't see the ocean, right? Because they, they usually live inland. I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is hundreds of miles from the nearest shore. It's right smack dab in the middle of Alaska. And, and so I could describe the ocean to you. I could tell you about sunsets. I could tell you about the waves. I could tell you, you know, salt water, like smell salt and, you know, seagulls. And I could tell you all those things. Or we could go to the ocean and you could swim in it. And it's actually only by experiencing that that you're fully going to be able to realize what the ocean is, that you're actually going to know it, that you're going to get it. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says that he wants us to be rooted. He prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. It's a little bit of a mixed metaphor. To be rooted is plant language, right? It's agriculture, right? Grow deep roots. To be grounded is architectural language. It's to build a strong, on a strong foundation, right? So, so both are, you can see how they're both the same idea, that, that our lives would be strong because we are experiencing God's love. And we're experiencing God's love specifically in community. The reason why I say in community is, is Paul prays, he prays that we would know with all the saints the love of Christ, so this, this knowing God's love is something that if you just are trying to do it on your own, if it's just me and Jesus to the end of the road and, and there's not, you know, the church, there's not other followers of Jesus in the mix, you're not going to really be able to get more than one dimension of God's love. You're going to be limited by your own perspective, by your own experience, by your own spiritual disciplines, but it's really through participating and being a part of the community, the family and the household of God that you're actually going to be able to experience the fullness of God's love. William Klein says it like this, not only must love work itself out in the context of the body, it can only be understood there. Love cannot be grasped in isolation from other members of the body of Christ. That's powerful truth. That's one of the the most significant things for why we should be a part of a church community. Why it can't just be, you know, me watching videos or me doing spiritual practices. You need other followers of Jesus. You need other followers of Jesus so that you can showcase God's love. You need, love needs an object, right? You know, you, you need to love someone and care for them and serve them, you know, put your love into practice. So it's not just that you love God so much internally and you pray a lot. It's you've got to like do something. You, you've got to use your hands, use your feet, get to work in loving other people. There are good works you were created to do. It is in community, the community of the church, that we receive love. Yes, we receive love from God through his grace, his forgiveness, through the, the, these big picture concepts and things that we receive, these truths from scripture. But Jesus doesn't actually, you know, give us a hug when we're crying. 
He doesn't make us a casserole when we're hungry. And so it is through his body that we can actually experience and receive that love. And it's also through the church community that our perspective grows and we actually understand more of God's love. You know, your story is your story and it's amazing and it's beautiful. But someone who has a different story and a different experience, a different testimony can actually witness to other aspects of God's love for us. And so for us, that's so significant that we experience the love of Christ, but we do it within the Christian community. And I would say, if you feel like you're isolated from the Christian community, I would just invite you to take whatever that next step is for you. Maybe if you are comfortable with coming back on Sundays, then you would come and join us in one of our in-person worship gatherings. If you're not, then I would still challenge you to find maybe a few friends that you could get together with regularly and pray with. Uh, you can sign up for a life group. And in this next season, maybe you know if there's still people who aren't comfortable coming back to in-person gatherings, you could do Zoom life groups, right? You, you could do those kind of things because it is essential that we follow Jesus in community. And then the third prayer request is this, that we would grow your capacity to encounter God's presence, that you would grow in your capacity to encounter God's presence. He prays at the very end uh, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this is a prayer request, okay? I don't know if at the dinner table when you're thanking God for the meal that, that we always pray, and would you fill us with your fullness, oh God? That is amazing, right? This is an amazing kind of prayer request. Now, to be clear, the church in Ephesus, they already have God's presence in their life. They're already followers of Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit. So when he prays that they would be empowered by the Spirit, he's not saying that they would receive the Spirit for the first time. When he prays that they would experience the love of Christ, they are experiencing the love of Christ. All of these prayer requests are for a greater level, for an outside of the box, for an overflowing kind of experience of the Christian walk. So they have God's presence in their lives, but they can always have more. You can always have more. In, in fact, I would say that, that, that our experience with God and our, and our relationship with God is something we should never be you know, satisfied with. We should always be seeking more and more. Uh, and one day, it will be fully realized, the way that God dwells with us and we dwell with God. Remember where the story is headed. One of the most beautiful promises of hope from Revelation 21 is this, Revelation 21.3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's where the story is headed. Now, we often focus on the tears being wiped away and the blessings and the wedding supper, but it's really this beautiful promise that we will be with God forever. And, and this, this, this kind of relationship we have where we can experience God's presence now, which we can through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it will just be fully realized one day. And that is a beautiful, beautiful promise that, that Paul prays, remember, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that Christ would dwell in our hearts in Ephesians 3. Well, that word dwell is katoikeo, and it's, it's a different kind of dwell than we sometimes think about. It, katoikeo is a permanent residence. It's to reside. It's to settle down in. It's, you know, maybe you lived in an apartment, and, and then one day you bought a house. Well, your house would be your katoikeo. It's the place where you're, you can really see yourself spending years of your life. We can say it like this. Jesus isn't looking for an Airbnb. He's not looking for an Airbnb 
And yet, sadly, that's how so many of us treat Jesus in our lives, that we're going to give Jesus residence in our lives maybe just on Sundays. You know, he can rent that day of the week, but the other days, they're, they're, they're open for anyone, right? They're open for all the other things that take precedence in our life, all the other things that are more important than our faith. You know, maybe it's our success and our career. Maybe it's our, our beauty, our, our, our self-image, our social media, our distraction, our, the sins that we let creep into our lives. My parents actually own an Airbnb. Uh, they use it for the sake of ministry, but they also use it when, when, when missionaries aren't coming over and doing ministry at the church to rent out. And they've had some really good guests, and they've also had some bad guests, some guests that come in, and they leave the place filthy. I remember them talking about, you know, one person who came and they stayed there, and they could not get the smell out of the sheets. I think they threw the sheets away, right? Because they just, they left the, the, the cabin in a mess, and, and they were like, whoa, Right. And, and so that's what happens in Airbnb, where there's constantly revolving different guests, and there's work, and you have to clean it. But Jesus isn't looking for an Airbnb in your heart. Jesus wants to dwell richly in your heart. He wants to take permanent residence in your heart. And it's up for us to stop compartmentalizing the days of our week and the times of our lives and to say that Jesus is with me every single day. I'm going to seek God's kingdom first every single day. In 1954, there's a guy named Robert Munger, and he wrote a book. I haven't read the book, but I love the premise of the book. It was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And in this book, the whole premise is that it's like our our hearts are a room or, or a, a, a house, and Jesus comes into the house, and you know all the rooms are filthy from sin, and they've been you know destroyed. And Jesus comes in, and he he moves in room by room, and he cleans it up, and he redecorates, and he claims more and more of our hearts. And I think that's something we could learn from that that metaphor, that for Christ to dwell in our hearts, for us to experience the fullness of God, really means doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, there's probably areas of your life you still haven't fully surrendered to him. There's probably areas of your life where maybe Jesus has full access to your time. You know, and at the drop of a hat, you'll go and you'll serve and you'll do something God calls you to, but he doesn't really have access to your bank account. He doesn't have access to your finances. When it comes to generosity, you still have a tight grip on that. Maybe that's an area where God is calling you to loosen your grip and to give Jesus full control. Maybe for you, it's those idols. It's those things that rival your attention and your worship. And, and so Jesus, you worship him on Sunday, but Monday, man, you're worshiping your career. You're worshiping your, your, your self-image. You're, you're wor- worshiping all of those other things, entertainment, you know, even drugs and alcohol. Or for, for you, it could be those things that are sins and temptations that we still allow to creep into and, and taint and to ruin the rooms in our heart. And I would just say to you, today can be the day that you turn away from those things and turn to God. And the way that we do that is through surrender. It's through surrender. So here's the practice. Let Jesus into every area of your life. Let Jesus into every area of your life. Today, you can pray a prayer and think about what are those things. You can confess. You can repent. You can ask God into every area of your life. And it's still going to take a journey Right? We're all on this journey of growing to maturity and faith. But if we want to reach that maturity, we have to have this posture and this perspective. I can always experience more of God's presence. And we do that through growing our capacity to experience God's presence. And for you, maybe you're watching this and you do not yet have a faith in Jesus. 
Well, I would just say to you, the way that Christ dwells in our hearts, according to Paul, is through, what's that key word? It's through faith. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. So the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to work your way to God. You don't have to work your way into salvation. Grace is a gift of God. It's God's mercy, his love. He will forgive your sins because of the work Jesus did for you on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. Not any of the works of righteousness that you will do once you decide to follow him. That's grace. But we open the door to God's grace through faith. That means two things. It means we put our full trust in the person of Jesus, and we also believe the events of the gospel. So it's, it's trust plus belief equals faith. And today can be the day. I would invite you to respond to the good news of the gospel and ask God that, that you would pray today and ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. And you can experience the, the fullness of God's presence in your life. Jesus will change everything for you. And I would invite you to consider the step of baptism. That's the way that Jesus instructed us to respond in faith. He asked us to get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's this really declaration of deciding to put your faith in Jesus. We, we have a great resource, uh, a baptism 101 video at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. We have river baptisms, actually Labor Day weekend, church at the park. And I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to pray about that and maybe even to sign up to get baptized this summer. Let's go ahead and finish off uh, Ephesians chapter 3, the last two verses, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a, a phenomenal, it's, it's called a doxology. This is a phenomenal way to close chapter three. And it might sound familiar to you if you've joined us for any of our in-person worship gatherings this summer. This is what we're using as our benediction to close service. And I would encourage you to maybe uh, memorize these two verses. This is just a beautiful verse because what these two verses do is the reason I, I chose it for our benediction for the summer is it grows our perspective for what God can do. It's almost like Paul has prayed for these huge requests that people would have the full power of God, you know, manifesting through them, that people would experience the full love of Christ in their community, and that people would be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are huge prayer requests. And then Paul says, you want to know why I prayed those big requests? Because I actually believe God can do it. Because I, Paul actually believes it. In fact, he says God can do more. Than, than he's even praying for. God can do immeasurably more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So, so think about your current vision for how God wants to use you to impact his kingdom. Multiply that by a million. And that's still a small order for God because God can do more. He can always do more. So here's what that teaches us. The practice for us is to pray and dream bigger. If God can do more than even the biggest prayers that we've prayed, then we should pray bigger prayers. If God can do more, if, you know, we have this limitation on, on what God can do, then we need to dream bigger. Dream specifically, not, you know, dream bigger like, you know, I, well, if God can do more, I'm going to ask for a yacht and a Ferrari and a mansion. You know, it's not that, 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 that we should think bigger about what God can give us, but what God wants to do for his kingdom and for his glory. How many people do you think that you're going to baptize in your life? Pray that, pray that God would, would double that, 
multiply that by 100, and pray that God would use you to actually bring people to know him for the very first time. You know, what are those prayer requests that you have for our city, for our church? How does God want to use us? And pray bigger and dream bigger. Mark Batterson in his book, Circle Maker, says this. Now, this is a little bit of an overstatement. I think he says this for shock factor, but this is what he says. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers are impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Now, like I said, I think he's, he's, he's you know, using these, this hyperbolic language for shock factor. It's a bit of an overstatement because we know that God wants us to pray about everything, right? He's a good father, Matthew chapter 7, who gives good gifts to his children. Jesus taught us to pray for even the small prayer requests of our daily bread. So it's okay to pray for small prayer requests as well. And yeah, I think the point that Mark Batterson is making is really, really helpful, is that so often in our prayer life, what we do is we pray these safe prayers, these ambiguous, these vague prayers, because we almost don't want to be let down by God. Well, if I pray a prayer that, you know, I can kind of, I can actually kind of answer that prayer myself if I was honest, you know, that it's not that big of a request, then I'm not going to have to worry about being let down by God. And I would just say that is not the right way that we should pray. We should pray that God would do more than we can ask or that we can think. And so think about God's kingdom. Think about how God wants to use you to, to impact people for the sake of the gospel and then pray bigger, dream bigger, think bigger. And when we do that, we're going to see God move in incredibly powerful ways. One of the other things that's so interesting here is that Paul says, you know, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That word glory is the the Greek word doxa. It's where we get doxology. And usually when there's a doxology, Jesus is the one who's giving glory to the Father. But here in Ephesians 3, it's the church and Jesus. So we are included as ones who glorify God. And that's our, our last practice is to glorify God to use your life to glorify God. That word glory is, is a really churchy word. You know, it's sometimes hard for us to grasp, but really it just has this idea of radiating, like a light radiates. And it's actually God radiating himself. Clinton Arnold says, the glory of God is a manifestation of who he is in his brilliance, majesty, holiness, and power. That's a good definition of the glory of God. Now, when the church glorifies God, we don't make God more God, right? We don't make God more of who he is. We, we can't actually make God more glorious because he is who he is, right? That's what Yahweh means. I am who I am. That's the, you know, one of the first names of God that we see in Exodus. And, and so we don't make God more glorious, but we make God's glory more known in the world. That's what it means to glorify God. It is God is already radiating his holiness and his power and his goodness and his righteousness. He already is who he is. And the church, when we live our lives on mission, when we go into the world and we make disciples, when we love our neighbors as ourselves, when we love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, what's gonna happen is we're actually gonna showcase God's glory. We are going to be that city set on a hill that shines God's light into all the world. So would you live your life? And would we as a church live our, our, our life? And would we be the ones who glorify God? Because that's how God will be known throughout all generations. And that's the goal, that our faith is not just about us 
in this present age, in our time on earth, in our lifetime. It's, it's about God's kingdom moving forward throughout all generations forever and ever. And we have the opportunity to join Jesus in glorifying God. So to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.